Hey, hello everyone, Sean Simons here, PPG Grandpa. Man, what a beautiful day. No, it's not, it's raining, so I can't go out there and kite or fly or anything. So what am I gonna do? I'm gonna sit here and talk with you on this podcast. You know, about two years ago, I had open heart surgery with a little bit of a complication, had a stroke. Oh, horrible, man. Couldn't eat, couldn't talk. Had a peg tube, Had they had to feed me through a tube, it was awful. Took about a year to get to the point that I could, I felt normal, another year to get strong enough. But during those two years, I searched the internet and found Tucker got flying to McDonald's on this crazy bed sheet strung, strung up with strings and sitting in a lawn chair with a, with a gym fan on his back. I'm like, what is this? I want to do this. Along the way, I found other people out there, you know, Mark Honeycutt and Woody's Gamer Tag, Anthony Vela whole slew of other people out there. And it got me to the point that this is it. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to push through and I'm going to fly a paramotor and I'm going to fly someplace cool and do a video just like this. Well, I just started flying. Got about uh, 20 hours under my belt. Love flying. Started a podcast. This is now episode five already. And I got up with Anthony Vella. If you don't know him, he's actually doing a podcast also. I said, hey, what'd be the chance of me interviewing you? He goes, sure, go ahead. So we're going to get him on the phone, do a quick interview with Anthony and see what he's up to. And today we are going to give Anthony Vella a call and see if he'll do a little interview. Just uh, relaxing at home, beautiful day, super windy, recovering from my kiting wounds this afternoon. Oh, no, <laughs> you got kiting wounds? What happened? Uh, I was out there on the field. It was just like a, a nice, super strong, steady uh, 15 miles per hour, occasionally gusting to 20. I wanted to like improve my kiting skills just bringing the glider up in strong conditions right. because I, I plan on getting into some free flight stuff and and then there was like this rogue gust that just came came through and it picked me up about 50 feet and once I got up about 50 feet the glider collapsed uh went down to the ground hit the ground on uh on my chest and then it pulled me another 200 feet holy smokes I hope you got this on video <laughs> no I didn't no no I only end up recording like a very small percentage of my flying. Oh my goodness. Well, you're okay though, right? Yep. Rock solid. Yeah, just, I think I'll lose the thumbnail. Uh, I, uh, uh, when I was getting pulled, I, I hit a few rocks and my thumb is, is the worst injury, but it's, it's still a-okay. Oh my goodness. Man, you are always getting into some crazy adventures. Oh yeah. <laughs> Well, um, today, I guess I'd like to just hear about your story. Um, just so you know, when I was, uh, before I started flying, I was looking into paramotors and I found, of course, Tucker got Woody, you, Mark Honeycutt, but you had that podcast and I do a lot of driving. So I actually ended up listening to all of your podcast, every single one, not just once, but at least three or four times. 
No kidding. That's yeah. really exciting. <laughs> yeah. So you, you really, you really helped me out as far as like learning a lot of stuff. And, um, I was Marine Corps. You were army. We both went through some traumatic stuff and it seemed like paramotors is what actually got us, uh, strong and, uh, the, I guess the ability to, you know, push through, uh, hard times. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. For sure. So I don't know. Um, if you'd like to, um, could you, I don't know, maybe share how you actually got started, uh, into paramotors? Yeah, of course. Uh, so when it came to paramotoring, uh, I, I wanted to fly, in one way or another, like my whole life, basically. Uh, when I was younger, I was about 14 years old when I started doing my uh, private pilot's license, and I was learning in Assessment 172 at Camarillo Airport in Southern California. And before I finished my training, I enlisted for the Army, and I wanted to be a helicopter pilot. That was like, I, I did really well on the ASVAB. And uh, they said I could be a helicopter pilot and that they had positions. It was a high school to flight school program that they called it back then. Oh, cool. Maybe it's the same thing today. And when when it was like time to sign the paper, the recruiter was like, oh, we, there's no more positions. And I was like, oh, man, I've already invested my mind into to being in the army at this point. And he goes, but you can pick any other job you'd like to do. And I was like, okay, well, maybe I'll be a combat medic because I was aware that two years after serving as a combat medic, you could then drop a packet to become a flight medic in a helicopter doing medevac missions. Oh, good. And, and, and then I was like, well, if I'm, if I'm a flight medic, then maybe I can, you know, get in with the other pilots and find myself flying or something like that. Right. Um, but, uh, once I got out of combat medic training in San Antonio, Texas, I received orders to go back to Fort Leonard Wood, where I went to basic training. And the uh, unit that I was assigned to, the 515th Sapper Company, like was like, oh, well, we're going to Afghanistan. Uh, so we're, we're like prepping. And when I got to Afghanistan, I, I ended up getting injured and medevaced all the way back to the United States and I was in a WTU unit. And when I went to go to do the flight school stuff, they, uh, they, they ask you a series of questions and they said, well, you have, you've been diagnosed with PTSD in the past from the wartime experiences and you've had some severe spinal cord injuries and spinal cord surgeries. And so my FAA flight medical was revoked and it was soul crushing. And like, it was the biggest kick in the cojones, uh, and uh, so it, it really, it really was like, that was, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting because the experiences that I had in Afghanistan were like just depressing for, for obvious reasons. Um, but to come home and have that flight met, you know, the flight medical thing taken away, because for me thinking about being able to fly is the most therapeutic thought because it's like that lifelong goal and, and it, it kind of manifested in this frustration towards the FAA's medical process. And it was sometime later um, that I had recalled a memory uh, from when I was younger of, an, of a, a man uh, flying over the orchards where I lived. I used to work on a ranch. And one random day, some man was flying a paramotor 
And I kind of just like randomly recalled that and then spent a lot of time just like looking into it. And when I found out it didn't require a medical examination, I was kind of like re it was like a breath of fresh air. Like all of a sudden there was hope again. Yeah. Uh, and I, I spoke with Todd Scanderit with resurgence PPG and, and the organization was like, I, I think like super new at that point. And, they didn't really have funds like available at that time. But I, I think Tom or Todd made a bunch of phone calls and in long story short, he made it so that I could get my training at like a discounted rate, which uh, made it available to me. It was a, it was a financially difficult time in my life. And I just remember like thinking uh, after paying, you know, for all the needs of my kids and paying the mortgage on the house, if there's a penny I can save, I'll save it for towards this paramotor. And it's kind of like biting the bullet because it's like the, you know, every last drop goes towards this this dream that you hope you'll enjoy. Right. Uh, and when I did, the big surprise is I was so scared my first flight. <laughs> oh, were you really? <laughs> yeah. 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 I, you know, it's, it's so funny because I totally, I, in my head, you, you know, you can imagine it being like this beautiful experience, like with the music playing, dun, 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 dun. But as soon as my feet left the ground, I was actually like really scared. <laughs> oh man. Cause your videos look like, you know, this is just what you've done your entire life. Oh yeah. Yeah, and I think with with progression, it's it's something that I hope to maybe do an episode on the YouTube channel or maybe a podcast in the future. It's just about like progressing in paramotoring, and it and I think progression refers to becoming one with the glider, where you just trust in it. So, you... oops, I think I lost you for a second. Yeah, yeah, I think I lost you for a second see if it's my internet i think it's my it could internet. be no worries if it happens again i can just uh switch off from wi-fi to my cell sometimes that works better exactly <laughs> but but yeah i know the the paramotoring thing uh with when it comes to progressing the what i what i think of when i think of progressing is is just becoming more familiar with it so that the end goal is that the glider and motor on your back are an extension of your body. Uh, exactly. So, do. so how long, how long did you kite your wing before you took your first flight? Um, the kiting was, I think a few, like a few days oh, okay. I'd gone, I'd gone to Lone Star Paramotor in Austin, Texas and in the weather wasn't really ideal for like first flight conditions so we had a lot of opportunity for kiting with some speed wings uh and i had a lot of fun with that and it, and it clicked pretty well um uh, but yeah there was there was a lot of kiting <laughs> yeah what, what was your first wing that you had did, did you have like an a wing or a b wing what kind of wing did you have my very first wing yeah. that I ever purchased was an Ozone Spider, the 26 meter. It's the one that I flew to Walmart with. Yeah, I love that video. <laughs> yeah. Matter of fact, I saw that. I saw that in one of the, uh, was it the Daily Mail in the UK thing? Uh, they came out with that. <laughs> yeah. And I watched it. Yeah. I thought that was pretty good. Pretty crazy, the stuff they, 
they they cling to these days. So yeah, so um, so Tucker took a trip to McDonald's. You took a trip to Walmart, and during your trip to Walmart, on your way back, you had peanut butter and jelly, and you made yourself a peanut butter and jelly sandwich while you were flying. How how'd that work out? I. Uh, n- it wasn't, it was, I think I, I refer to it as like the world's ugliest peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was kind of like just a challenge, uh, really. I, I mean, it, at that point, I I had developed, I suppose, an awareness that oscillations wasn't really a big deal. And taking your hands off the control just means that the wing may get into some light oscillations, especially on a wing like an ozone spider in a 26 meter. Like it's not going to ever be that bad. But the oscillations were enough to make my my peanut butter and jelly smearing uh, game off that day. Yeah, and so, you had you had peanut butter and jelly all over your fingers, right? Yeah, and my beard was longer, and so <laughs> you know it's the flavor saver. I kept it oh, for later. Yeah, <laughs> yum, right? <laughs> so so um, so so that spider was a B-rated wing, correct? Yeah, absolutely. So you actually started on a B wing, and uh, I actually started on a B wing too, the uh, the Roadster Three. I feel right. I feel like they're pretty darn solid. I know that there's a lot of, you know, new pe- new people out there that are like, I want an A wing because it's really solid and really, you know, stable. But to me, I think my Roadster Three was extremely stable, and your Spider felt pretty stable, did it not? Yeah, let me. Let me... I want to make sure the internet doesn't cut out. Uh, you have for me well. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm actually. It's raining over here. It's one of those really miserable days. Unfortunately, that you can't even go out and kite or do anything. I guess the only thing you can do is call Anthony and say, "Hey, how about a, how about an interview today?" Uh, yeah. in, in, in response to the. The, the spider being a first wing, like wings like the ozone spider or a dudeck universal. Yeah. I think for most people, like I, I would totally be a, you know, a proponent of saying that's you're good to go with that as a first wing. So long as you feel comfortable, um, after your first, you know, flights and, and I don't really care for that mojo. Like, I don't think I would, I would really, ever try to sell somebody on a mojo if anything like i would just suggest maybe a bigger spider right for the person um but yeah no i think that i think for me the ozone spider was like a, a ideal wing i mean if i had the dudeck universal in the same size i think i would be equally as happy um but yeah starting at a in an a roadster uh spider universal something in that category of of gliders i think it's it's the appropriate place to start for most people yeah i i've also heard that with the uh, different ratings if you have a b weight rated wing like my roadster three if i keep all the trims in and i don't use the tip steering that's pretty much an a wing and the only reason why they have to call it a b wing is because you're allowed to go out further on the trims and have tip steerings is that what you've heard too oh man i'm gonna switch i'm gonna switch to all right can you hear me now hey yeah, I got you now. Yeah, the, the self, yeah, cell phone signal is def- definitely much better. It, like I said, it's raining over here, and the Wi-Fi kind of shoddy. Yeah, 
Oh, I hear you. I hear you. But um, anyway, um, now now, how long have you actually been flying? Uh, about a year and a half. About a year uh, and a half? Yeah, I think so. Or maybe a little more. I'm not sure. But I fly all of this, like almost any flyable day. And sometimes non-flyable days I still fly. Right. Uh, but... But yeah, no, I, I've I've been flying ever since then, and and yeah, I fly a lot. Well, yeah, and you also got that van. You got you got um, Leandra out there flying with you now too. So you know, <laughs> she does a lot more kiting than flying, but she's she's definitely a huge uh, support, and she makes it possible for me to go flying. Uh, she's super helpful, like with the kids. If there's an opportunity where the guys here get together, you know that. The majority of the guys that I do the paramotor podcast with are, are local El Pasoinians or whatever they call themselves. Right. Um, and so we get together like a lot. And there's a field like very close to my house. It's in the neighborhood. Uh, so it's easy for me. And I know that some people aren't like afforded the luxury of having something so close to them. I guess most people have to drive at least 10 minutes. But for me, like, I could walk to the field with my paramotor, and I've done it a couple times. Well, that's cool. And it sounds like you almost got, like, a, an airport right next to you, or you actually have enough grass field that you can actually call it an Anthony Airport, right? <laughs> yeah, we call it Anthony. They call it Anthony Airfield, and it's so funny. I got a comment on YouTube, somebody saying, did you really name a field Anthony Airfield after yourself? I'm like, I didn't come up with the name. <laughs> <laughs> Now, with with the, the last uh, year and a half of flying, I know it's hard to really look back and remember being new at flying. But maybe you do. I don't know. But um, how long did it take for you to feel comfortable enough to use, like, tip steering or, or 3D, um, possibly, you know, start doing your wing overs and, and doing bigger things other than just tool around in the air? That's a really good question, uh, and I love that question because I think it pertains to so many people. And, and the the answer is is uh, oh quite a while. Like it really did. It took. Um, it, it's like a relationship, I suppose. Just like uh, no different from any other relationship you may have. It takes time to develop trust in yeah. in, in this relationship. And when I would find myself in the air starting out. I spent a lot of time like nervous and questioning when am I going to start enjoying this? Uh, uh, <laughs> and it takes, and it took me quite a while. Um, and I think the the best thing that I did to um, build that confidence was really limit myself and in, in a way set myself up for success by flying in conditions that were um, more likely to be very calm, smooth conditions, and then progress from there. But that still took uh, maybe four months of flying re like very regularly to start to develop that relationship and build trust in the equipment. Because uh, it doesn't matter how much somebody can tell you your, your equipment works great. It'll it'll do the job. You just have to trust it. It's like, no, I mean, it, it takes time to just become comfortable in the air. To, where today, like, it's a massive difference. I'll, I'll fly in conditions that aren't so great and 
truly feel confident in the equipment and in myself and my skills. Now, when you first started, too, I know that you have to really build your bump tolerance. Uh, how much bump do you, do you tolerate now compared to when you first started? Um, so <laughs> another interesting thing is, is if I'm down low, contrary to what most people feel, if I'm really low to the ground within... 50 feet of the ground, I suppose, uh-huh. my bump tolerance is really high. Oh, like, okay. if I'm 10 feet off the ground, it's it's stupid high. Like, it's a little bit illogical, I suppose. Um, if I'm high, if I'm really high up in the air, maybe 2,000 feet up, uh, 5,000, or in my last video, flying over the mountains, 10,000 feet, yeah, that if was I crazy. feel a yeah, if I feel a little bit of a quiver in the in the glider, I still tense up. Like, um, and I think it's just a psychological game. Uh, a long time ago, I was doing this video where I was looking for better weather because El Paso was kind of blown out for the for the week. So I made a drive to Hatch, New Mexico, and it was it was the least crappy weather for a lack of better terms. Um, it was still bumpy and, uh, but, but I, I described in that video that for me being low and having the ground to reference provides peace of mind And the way that I would compare it is similar to that of like riding a motorcycle because I can, I can remember from my younger days when I would ride dirt bikes and I would hit a jump and it would go all wrong and I would just wreck it land, you know, at the other side of the jump. Um, but be okay with that because I didn't, it didn't, it didn't equate to death. You know, when I'm 2000 feet up, there's just that psychological game of being so high that it, it convinces me that I'm worse off when in reality you have, as they say, more time to resolve a problem with your glider if need be. And you have your reserve uh, being effective at that height as opposed to it not being effective at 50 feet. So it's a little bit odd, but it's just how I process it. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. Now, I remember listening to your first podcast, and you were always talking about that you have not flown with a reserve. How long did it take for you to actually get that first reserve? Uh, man, I don't know. Six, seven months maybe. Um. And that would be equate to about how many hours in the air, you think? Uh, maybe, I don't know. Like, I, I would, I, I tell people I have about maybe 150 hours in the air at this point. Oh, okay. Um, but, I don't know, maybe half that. Okay, because I've heard that a lot of people are not getting their reserve until they get at least 100 hours under their belt. So I was just wondering... If that was about like you, I, I guess it was. Well, yeah, and, and for me, the, the logic, uh, of course, is, is just more of like I can be realistic with myself, knowing that I fly at, at lower levels more often than not. I know that my that, that reserve is, is going to be less effective if, if I'm at 20 feet. Like, your reserve is, is not capable of deploying at, at 20 feet. There are some miracle stories of it deploying at like 100 feet, but they recommend... Uh, or would they suggest that its effectiveness 
is a minimum of 500 feet. Um, so it's kind of like, I know YouTube forms a lot of opinions. Um, and as a YouTuber, I suppose I would call myself, um, I have to like accept that people are going to have their differences of opinions or just not realize that I'm aware that of, of the fact that me not having a reserve doesn't make me any more dangerous if I'm not going above, uh, 20 or 30 feet on a flight. But yeah, <laughs> exactly. Because, you know, I mean, what we, we fly at about 25 miles an hour. So, you know, the worst thing that we can do is if, you know, especially if we're over grass, you know, we're, if we can get some sort of flare, we're, we're really not even going very fast. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it 20 feet. And that's also like one of my favorite topics that I always love to bring up, even if the other co-hosts don't like it, it, it is, is paramotor crash, like analysis type things. And, of course, we can't really reference paramotor crashes, so you can't really analyze it. But if you just if you just paint a picture in your mind and you have some experience in in people hitting the ground, doing doing other extreme sports um, like riding dirt bikes, you know that a, a person can still you know very much walk away from a a drop from twenty feet. The difference is is that on a motorcycle you don't have any parasitic drag to slow you down. It's not like you you mess up a jump on a dirt bike and you throw out your, your parachute, uh, you're just going to hit the ground <laughs> and, and that's, that's what you're going to do. You're, you'll probably get a little banged up, hurt, break a leg, something like that. Um, but with a, with a paramotor at 20 feet, you'll at the very least have some form of like parasitic drag to slow you down. So you're not going to hit the ground as hard as if you were on a dirt bike. Uh, it doesn't, I don't think, of course, I don't believe that that means that you're free, uh, that you're not going to get hurt because you could have some sort of unfortunate result where you land on your head or neck and break your neck and become paralyzed in a worst case scenario. But ultimately, um, yeah, I, I think paramotoring safe, even if you were to wreck into the ground at a low altitude, your odds aren't like necessarily horrible that you'll be okay eventually yeah and, and i know that i'm not the only one that looks at uh, paramotor crash videos but that one where that one guy was going down i i think it was called like the the most scariest crash ever and the guy uh, up top kept on saying pump your brakes pump your brakes and the guy just kept on falling and falling and falling he finally got down there and he just was walking around like like nothing happened he didn't even throw it a reserve i so many of them too i can't recall that specific one but yeah definitely i've seen people who who do do that and they they hit the ground and then walk away uh which is what i think the most likely outcome would be and i, I imagine they'd have poop running down their pant legs <laughs> <laughs> i know i would okay yeah i would too yeah first you say it then you do it <laughs> right it's you know it's like it's like today like when it was when I answered the call, I like immediately told you about the kiting experience where I was, I had, I, I had to have been, maybe I'm exaggerating, maybe not it, it, between 30 and 50 feet, Sean, like I was way up there. And then my, gl my glider just like collapsed, like it, it just collapsed and I went straight down to the floor and I, I did, I wasn't falling super fast. There's certain things that, that can obviously happen um, that would make that a lot worse. 
but under the assumption that your glider just collapses and you go straight down, you, you're going to have drag. A, a worst case scenario would, would probably be something like a spiral into the ground. Right. And, and that would be um, ugly and potentially deadly. Uh, but, I mean, even in, in a straight down spiral, you're not at terminal velocity, but it's still enough to kill you like some, some really uh, horrible accidents that happened last year. Right. But... Yeah. Um, one of the things, as me having less than twenty hours in the air already, is flying up in the air and worrying about that frontal collapse. Now you've taken some SIV courses. How likely is it uh, me keeping you know trims in and not using tips during and not doing anything silly, just flying, enjoying myself? How likely is it that I would ever take a frontal collapse? Uh, so I think. I think based off of how the advancements in equipment these days, like if I'm on a new glider, any 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 new glider, realistically, if I was on a Gudek Universal or a Ozone Spider, um, I would say if you didn't choose to fly on a day that was just clearly a bad day to fly and you weren't flying over an area that's known to produce like rotor, I mean, these are things that would be really obvious like if you were putting yourself in that situation, it might happen. But if you were, you know, getting into the sport and being that new pilots don't usually fly in bad conditions in uh, rough air, let's just assume you live in a hilly landscape and it's a breezy day and it's it's not too bad and you're flying above where the rotor might be, your, your wing is not going to frontal like it, it, it will not frontal um it, unless some crazy stupid not worth mentioning uh incident occurred just to not be the person that says uh, nothing or that it's completely impossible but it's just not going to happen i would bet my life on it and that's what i do every time i go and fly if, if my wing if i thought that my wing would randomly frontal in normal conditions i don't think i would be paramotoring personally i think it it, uh, it would just be too much of a risk for the reward gotcha. but yeah i don't think it's likely and even if it did even if you if you were to take a frontal um i've seen uh I, I, there was a there's a pilot here in el paso who used to fly a really old glider and it took a little frontal when he was coming over this hill on a very windy day and it frontaled and it like it completely frontaled and then recovered itself maybe within 10 feet of like a, of a drop. Like it was nothing. It was just like in out and it fixed itself. And then he kept flying for the rest of the day. Hmm. So. Um, how about like flying through somebody else's wash? Like um, my instructor said, be careful when you're flying behind another paramotor because the wash or the wake from the, um, prop could cause turbulence possibly a frontal is is am i am i remembering that correctly uh yeah for sure i mean what you're talking about is is the wake going through somebody's wake uh-huh. um yeah it definitely disrupts the air like uh gliders love their their smooth air to just cruise on through and if you go, it's, I mean, the air is, is very much 
uh, like water, um, and it's like a boat going through it. And except we were not fortunate enough to be able to see to see the air. Right. Uh, there's a funny saying on a video I'd watched a long time ago saying that if we could actually see the air, we would never fly because you would just see how crazy it can be. Um, but yeah, when you fly around, whether it's somebody else's wake, um, that their glider or prop is putting off, uh, and I guess there's also those two different components, right? It could be the wings wake, or it could be the, the propellers prop wash, right? Right. Um, that you would fly through. But you still, but you still don't think that you'd take a frontal on something like that? No, no, I, I, I really don't, um. I never have. I've flown through people's wake like at least a hundred times and it's a little bit um, concerning. Like, I mean, it, it can get your nerves up because you do get rocked, but I have never thought for a second that my glider was close to collapsing um, because of it. I mean, really it, being that I like to do tight turns, I hit my own wake a lot, like very often, mm-hmm. usually a couple times per flight. Um, and yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't concern me, but if I was a new pilot getting into it, your mind may play tricks on you and say that could have been dangerous when really it's, it's not dangerous, not on new equipment. Okay. Yeah. Because I, I think of all the, I think of all the things that could happen to me. I think that that's the scariest thing. Um, so what is the scariest thing that has happened to you when you, um, since you've been flying? Sorry, Jonathan, my son just got home. Oh. Um, the, scariest, the scariest thing in flying was my first time experience when it came. I recently shared it, and I and it and it was my scariest experience. I ran off of a mountain prior to having any knowledge on the effects that the terrain, like the hilly mountainous terrain, would have. And that's the, um, that's the paragliding one, right? Yeah. 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 And, it, and, and to this day, that was my first experience and my worst experience. Uh, and it was, it was horrifying. Like, uh, my anxiety was through the roof. Um, and I mean, never did the glider take a collapse. It was an advanced rated glider everything's backwards here, right? Like my first flight and the most advanced glider I've flown off of the mountains, uh, totally backwards, but I did it. Uh, it wasn't, it was a poor decision. Um, and, and if somebody is interested in, in, you know, getting frustrated at me about it, then they, they can go to the video and maybe read the description. And, and I do explain it, not that it's ever an excuse to put yourself in such a, uh, bad place but there I was (laughs) running off the mountain and my feet left the ground and I had a a rush of lift and I get picked up into the air and the ground is just kind of like uh disappearing below my feet and it wasn't until I had gotten past like the first ridge that there was this like rush of air and you could feel it and you're the wing just like doing just like in an airplane you've got several different axes uh you've got yaw roll uh, pitch and it was the yaw axis like the wing was just twisting left and right left and right and then it would surge forward on that pitch axis 
And I kept thinking, like, if it pitches too far forward, it's going to collapse. But I stayed focused. Um, and then when my feet hit the ground, I was just, like, in disbelief that somehow I got onto the ground comfortably. But, yeah, to this day, it's it's the most scary experience I have and probably one of the greatest lessons I've learned uh, since beginning. I... I read the description and it was very moving and very touching. And if you guys have not, uh, go over to Anthony Vela's YouTube channel and check it out and read that description. Um, it'll definitely move you. And um, um, the uh, the video, honestly, because you know I was sitting down watching it, didn't look all that bad or scary, but um, I, I could definitely could tell that that it was kind of scary in your part though. <laughs> I get I get mixed I get mixed comments like some people are like well you can really see it rocking around and it's kind of like maybe obviously I did probably you did when you were gearing up to get into paramotoring you probably like watched a huge amount of whatever you could find on YouTube of people flying exactly um, the unfortunate thing is that GoPros themselves don't really give you that perspective of when you're actually doing it. One of the downsides being that it's field of view doesn't it just doesn't like our peripherals as people, like we can still kind of see the, the glider out of the corner of our eyes. We're flying. Right. Um, when, with the GoPro, like if, if it's not on the screen, it's not on the screen. And so I think I was like staring like straight ahead, just like constantly looking for like where I could land and then not really knowing how to land which was, you know, intimidating itself. Um, but yeah, the camera doesn't, doesn't really do it justice. Uh, a funny, a funny thing about that video is, is I kept the music going. Like I, I wanted it to not really have music just so somebody could like experience it with hearing the actual wind hitting the camera. Uh, but I included music at the beginning because my breathing was so hard and I was so embarrassed when I when I was watching the footage, and I talked about it on the podcast when somebody asked about my scariest experience, uh, I was like, man, I was like screaming like a little girl. I wasn't actually screaming, but I was breathing <laughs> like really hard. <laughs> well, I, think, uh, I think anybody would. I mean, you know, any bump, you know, still going up, any bump is, is scary and, and kind of shaky. So uh, I can only imagine. Right. You know, on that note, like it's, Something I think the most valuable, one of the most valuable lessons that I learned was I recently went to Vermont and taught one of my friends how to fly a paramotor. And in that experience, um, I, I was like asking myself, like, what is one of the most important uh, characteristics? I suppose an instructor could possess when it comes to teaching and there's like a bunch of different options. It would be like maybe the educational side of things, maybe the ability to demonstrate how to perform the tasks at hand, or then there's like a big one and it's just like sympathizing. Um, and, and maybe being more aware of what the student pilot could experience before they've experienced and prepare them for that without scaring them. Right. So like, that is difficult. Uh, and, it, and it's tricky because you want, you want it to be an enjoyable experience. So I was telling my friend, Greg, um, 
and it was a lot of preparation for that first flight and kind of painting a picture of like a worst case scenario and being realistic. So like if the, if the conditions are super calm and you're in a massive grassy area, then the worst case scenario in my mind was that uh, he could panic and let go of everything and glide down to the grass field and he'd be okay. Right. Like, just don't touch the controls, glide down, uh, and I, I promise you, you'll be okay. And tell them, like, how sometimes your mind can sneak up on you and play a trick uh, and make you freak out, uh, basically. And so we, we talked about, like, the potential for, like, losing radio communications and, and just mentally jogging through what he was going to do on that first flight. In order, and, and it was all me drawing back to being horrified on that first experience. Uh, so that we could reduce the odds of him experiencing the freak out that not only did I experience running off the mountain, but also during that first paramotor flight I took at the beach in really good conditions. So, you know, it's just, it hits some people. Right. I would love to get into this, one of these last videos that I watched that I really thoroughly enjoyed, and that's the para-caching, the para the paracash that, that you did? Um, yeah. and, and just in case y'all didn't know, um, Anthony went out and was doing some geocaching with the paramotor and stashed some cash. Well, not cash, a t-shirt and some other stuff. And, uh, I'm really going to get them to look for it. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, but I'll, let, I'll let Anthony tell, tell you a little bit about it. If you haven't seen it, you definitely need to go over to his channel and check out the para, the paracaching. It's one of my favorite videos. But, Anthony, go ahead and tell us about it and, and what, it, what inspired you. And uh, is there going to be some more in the future? Because I would definitely like to go and check that out. Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah, paracaching, it's, it's really geocaching. And geocaching is like a GPS hidden object game like you have coordinates that you can use your phone to go in and find out in remote locations they can be in congested areas but not when it comes to paramotoring because we can't fly in congested areas but fortunately with paramotors we can access that country and it's it's basically like a treasure hunt where you're going and finding it with your flying machine and um it's, it's really cool because there's already an app, like a phone app available. There's a website that makes it really easy to do or to get started with. So once you get into paramotoring or, uh, and, and become comfortable with flying and, and maybe multitasking by using, you know, looking at your phone while you're flying, then you can probably safely get into uh, what we call paracaching at this point. And it, the idea is that you, you just create something, a simple logbook, you stash it in a weatherproof container, you uh, fly out somewhere, you hide it, and then other paramotorists can pursue it. Really, anybody can pursue it, but there's uh, like just bonus feel-good points if you find it using your flying machine. Uh, and yeah, you know, I'm surprised, you know, there's kind of a science to, to YouTube and, and how to try and get a video, the recognition it may deserve in that video itself. Like it was just so much fun and it's really genuine. Like it's our, it's, it, it's something that we all see fun doing, whether the cameras are rolling or not. Uh, but I don't know. I hope it, I hope it picks up 
a little bit of momentum in YouTube's algorithm so that more people can find out about it. I think it's not only something that uh, paramotorists would like, but I think it also has the potential to draw people into our sport that we enjoy so much because it's just one fun application of using the paramotor that's legal and safe. Yeah, I guess we need to get Tucker Gott to, to go out and do that with you. I know. I message Tucker often. Yeah. Uh, and it's funny. Uh, he, he, he made some comment about him being the first to find the uh, the, the world's most random outhouse that I found. <laughs> uh, and, and so he said he was going to find that. But I'm holding him to it. It hasn't happened yet. That is so awesome. Now I know that um, you know your your time is really important because your family is there. So um, I guess we'll wrap it up real quick. And um, what what is what is like? Now we already heard about the worst part. What is the best paramotor trip, the best flight that you have ever done, and would you recommend it to to somebody else? For sure, yeah, absolutely. The best paramotor trip is the one that I have every day out at my field uh it is it is the most therapeutic experience and in particular like those really memorable flights are like when the sun is setting and you cruise up to i don't know 2000 feet you kill the motor you pop your ear cups off and you just listen to the wind blowing through the lines to me those are the best flights there's some other good ones but i i i'm really glad that i have all of this at my disposal and I can access it whenever it's safe to fly. Exactly. I, I love paramotoring. It, it just, it's so ther- therapeutic. Uh, I, I definitely recommend this to anybody. Now, just in case you didn't know, but if you don't know Anthony Vela, you've probably been living under a rock. Uh, if you go to www.theparamotorpodcast, you'll find all of his information. And at the very bottom, you have all the social links. Is there anything other than those social links that you have on the bottom of that page that uh, that you do often? Do you Snapchat? No, I just do the, the Instagram. Aside from that, sometimes I'll snap some flying photos and post them on there. But no, that's it. The, the, the website, Facebook, Instagram. When is the next pair of cash going to come out? <laughs> uh, very soon. I, yeah, very soon. I, I hope so. And, 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 and definitely please invite me. I would love to go. Anthony, once again, thank you so much for your time. I know that your time is very important and you, we all don't have very much of it. So I thank you very much, uh, for coming on here. Um, and, uh, I, I I'm, I am so honored that I can, you know, interview one of my heroes that, you know, started this podcasting that got me into this uh, a long time ago. So thank you, Anthony, and have an awesome day, my friend. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you so much, guys, for listening to this podcast today. If you have not found me on the internet, I am at ppggrandpa.com. Hey, if you want to actually get up with me and be on my podcast or be interviewed, or if you have an interview with somebody awesome, you can get me at pptgrandpa at gmail.com. And of course, you know, I'll give you my phone number. We can, we can talk and we can text and chat because I really want to be able to get to know a lot of people out there. I've already 
have more contacts in my phone than, than I think that they're supposed to be, which is really good. But I, I've really enjoyed this boat, this sport so far, and I really want to be more involved. Anyway, once again, thank you so much for listening to my podcast. We'll catch you next time when we have, dun, 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 I don't know, somebody. Hey, get up with me and you'll, you'll be the next one on episode six. Have a great day and we'll chat at you later, man.